right, all right, here we go. It's episode 41 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys could also find him on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers, and you guys could always get us at pregame.com. All right, guys, here we go. We're going to talk NBA Saturday. We have game three tonight between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. But first, Mackenzie and I, we want to go ahead and do a little recap of game two between the Mavericks and the Warriors from last night. Mackenzie, that was probably one of the most entertaining games that I saw in the playoffs. Did you take anything of significance out of that game last night? Did you think it was as entertaining as I did? I did, and it was the fourth straight conference finals game where we didn't have a down-to-the-wire last-second shot, which is emblematic of the NBA. This was the first year ever throughout the regular season where less than half the games were decided by 10 points or less. But that does not mean it wasn't without drama because there was a moment in the first half where I was doing the math. I'm like, is this a pick series at this point? The Mavericks are up by 19. There's a couple minutes left in the half. Mavericks probably have a 70, 80% chance to win this game. They're going home. They're going to retake home court advantage. This is like a close series. And yet, like the Warriors have tend to do over the last decade, the second half was all Warriors, all Warriors. And that's the point I think I want to drill down on because nostalgia is the word you're hearing a lot in the airwaves coming off of game two where this is what the Warriors do. They're down by 15 and never felt like they were out of reach. Oh, it's close. Maybe they're going to win by 20 because they're always, you know, one streak away, one 25-footer run away from putting from putting games away or getting themselves right back into games. However, this is a completely different Warriors team. If you were watching that game and you said, okay, I'm a fan of the old school Warriors, the big three Warriors. I'm only going to watch. I'm just going to turn my TV on when Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green are on the court. Spe- specifically the last two. Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. I'm only going to watch when they're on the court. Well, then you would have seen a blowout. You would have seen the Mavericks completely annihilate this team because Draymond Green was terrible. He had six personal fouls. He had four awful turnovers. scored six points. Only grabbed six rebounds. Much to my chagrin, I had his over. He looked really bad. He looked like a guy that was 33 where age just caught up to him. Klay Thompson wasn't particularly good. He was minus nine for the game. But Steph Curry has proven he is the straw that stirs the drink. He still is as great as ever. I mean, not as great as ever, but he still is the difference in these games. Because whether he makes Klay Thompson and Draymond Green look like Hall of Famers, or Jordan Poole and Kevon Looney look like all NBA players, he's always bringing the best out of his teammates. And part of his personality, but I think most of it is just the threat on the court where you have to guard him, you have to run around 40 feet, opening up lanes, opening up concepts off the ball where Jordan Poole can shoot 70%. Jordan Poole was supposed to be a problem in this series. He was supposed to be the guy that couldn't play because they were going to switch Luka Doncic on him. But no, his offensive potency, being alongside Steph Curry, is such that he's plus 41 in this series. The Warriors are 41 points better with Jordan Poole on the court. So that was the difference to me. Steph Curry's greatness continues to be in effect, and it's amazing to watch. I think he's going to prove with this championship that he is the best player of his generation, and I think the iterations, the fact that this is like the third or fourth great team built around Steph Curry is proof that he is the Tim Duncan of his generation. He's the guy that he might not put up the numbers of some of the other all-time greats, 
but he's for some reason or other always on the best team in the league. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with Draymond. He was riding those refs yesterday, and I think for good reason. I don't know if you have the same opinion as I do, McKenzie, but referee-wise, that game was kind of brutal to watch. I mean, they hit Davis Bertans with a technical foul, and the guy did absolutely nothing. Do you think that the referee job that they did last night in that game had something to do you know, with the potential, you know, swing that was was going on with the Warriors getting back into that game? Like, did you attribute some of that to the referees? It did seem like the refs had a lot to do with the broadcast. It seemed like every other second there was some sort of controversy. I don't think Draymond Green handled himself well, and it probably led to some of his poor play. It was probably his worst game of the playoffs. Maybe the game where they lost by 50, he was worse, but he was terrible. But the Warriors were good. Because they can pivot. They can pivot to a completely different style, a completely different lineup. Kevon Looney, as they call him, uh, Kevon Olajuwon, last night, 21-10, and 10, was was just so much better than Draymond Green where it didn't really matter. But if you look at the foul calls, Mavericks, more free throws in the first half, okay, and they win. And in the second half, 15, three, 15 free throws, the Warriors only had 14. So the fact that the Mavericks, who are more of a jump shooting, more of an ISO kick and, and fire type of team versus the Warriors moving off ball. I feel like the Warriors should have more free throws on average. So I didn't see anything in the foul calls that would give me hope if I'm a Mavericks fan that the next game will be closer. Yeah, I think with Draymond last night, he was in this he was in this kind of weird mood where, you know, he got called for a couple ticky tack fouls. He he got called even and I think it was there was a, a call on I think it would might have been Clay, where he literally b- blocked the basketball, didn't even touch the guy. And Draymond just, he seemed like he flipped a switch. And maybe mentally it took him out of the game, but he was literally riding the refs. And I think later on in the game, the refs kind of just let Golden State just go out there and play. You know, they were getting to the free throw line, you know, when they needed to late in the game. But Dallas put themselves in a position to where, you know, they stopped really driving to the basket. They they were just, you know, settling for threes on the outside. And Golden State was like, as long as we don't foul these guys and, and put them on the free throw line, you know, with, with, you know, and ones or, you know, shooting threes and, and making them, it, it kind of just felt like the referees were taken away from, from the Dallas side. And it was, well, just like Golden State Warriors go out there and play. And when that happened, I felt like there was a lot of momentum shift because like you said, there was a lot of focus being put on the referees, you know, in the first half and it kind of quieted down. And I think that that helped the crowd. I think that that helped the Warriors. And I guess it probably helped Draymond too. He was on the bench, but he did fall out didn't complain at some of the later calls, but overall I thought that the referees impacted the game, you know, in the first half. And maybe that had something to do with Dallas, you know, going out there and performing the way that they did. Uh, I'm guessing we won't see, you know, that type of uh, effort from the referee crew, but, you know, they did play a key part into, you know, how entertaining that game was last night. And you mentioned Looney. They had 62 points in the paint. And this is one of the things that the Warriors have been knocked for, for the last couple of years is that, they, they don't have this big inside presence. And I think that that's a problem for Dallas because they don't really don't have one either. I mean, they have Powell and they have Kleber. Those are their two guys that they're looking for to go to in the middle. But you know, Kleber had foul trouble in game one. And Powell, he's just not the guy that's going to get it done. And the Warriors found Looney last night. Yeah, you have Clay. Yeah, you have Steph and, and Poole. And those guys are going to get you from the outside. Wiggins is playing uh, absolutely amazing right now. But now you add Looney into the mix. And if he's going to go out there and play 
like he did last night. I believe he had a career game last night, like 21 points was like the most he's ever had in his career, which to me is kind of surprising. But now you add that element into it. And this team becomes so much harder to defend. Not only can they beat you on the inside, or as of last night, they were beating you on the inside, but now you have guys like Poole and Steph on the outside, and they're beating you off the dribble. They're, they're finding their marks where they want to go ahead and shoot their threes, and they're making them. And not only that, they're driving to the basket, and nobody from Dallas seems like they can you know, line up with them one-on-one and stop them. Well, if the defense collapses, well, then there's a quick dish to Looney who's wide open because now he's got – you know, two guys on pool or two guys on Curry. So I think offensively, from what I saw last night, the Warriors really figured something out in the second half. One of the reasons why they won this game, but I think it's another reason why they become even more difficult to defend heading into game three, going back to Dallas. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know what you thought necessarily of Looney last night. He looked like an all-star defensively, offensively, um, had the team motivated. The coaches were high-fiving him like he looked like a man possessed out there last night, and that was what they needed. I, I, I think if you take Looney off the floor and you put any other player, the Warriors probably lose. He was so impactful last night. You think that the Warriors could potentially carry that into Game 3 and, and makes it even harder on Dallas? I do, and I think this speaks to where the Warriors are at in relation to the rest of the league because obviously the, the lineup of death a half a decade ago when it came out was so unstoppable because teams were playing seven-footers that couldn't run out. Fast forward six years later, it's almost like the league is doing the opposite and the Warriors have the ability to play big guys, to play Kevon Looney and dominate the paint because they're not worried about not having enough shooting. Why is every team in the league, the Mavericks, the Heat, everyone that's left, trying to go small? Because they're trying to mimic, they're trying to get enough offense to keep pace with Curry and, and Poole and Thompson when he's going, who's, by the way, he's shooting well above 50% in this series. He's gone, Clay Thompson has. Clay Thompson has gone under his points prop eight out of the last nine times, but usually it's because he's missing. Now it's because he's just shooting less as they're guarding him 60 feet and they have a lot more options. So the fact that the Warriors can maintain the ability to put up 126 like they did last night but play Kevon Looney, who's look, who looked like an all-star big, who looked like you know Andre Drummond from five years ago. He looked like a real guy. That's that's the that's the wrinkle that I think speaks to the unique ability of Steph Curry. There's no other, maybe Kobe. There's no other guy that's such a threat from distance, but also has the handle that can bring up the court 94 feet and score in the paint. I feel like the the ripple effects of that goes all the way to saying, okay, we don't have to worry about being five out. We don't have to worry about the Mavericks going small. We're going to maintain our defensive integrity. We're going to play Draymond, Kevon Looney, guys that can't shoot from distance. But we're still going to be the better offensive team because we have Steph Curry, and he invigorates the rest of your offense. You know, I want your opinion on this because I'm not sure what the answer is, but I kept hearing on the broadcast last night, McKenzie, that the Mavericks are going to live and die shooting the three ball. Is that the kind of offense that they really are? Because I kind of never really realized that. You know, last night, the Warriors were 14 from 28, 50%. It was great. I mean, it wasn't like they were out there. It didn't seem like they were out there gunning threes. They were getting what they wanted in the paint, and they were and they were hitting a bunch of threes. But, you know, the Mavericks, they started out really hot, and then they died off in the second half. Is that a team that, that, that they have to shoot threes all the time? Or can they find that other gear like the Warriors did last night with, you know, being able to get into the paint, like 
what's the situation with this team? Is is that just the team that they are? Because if they are, I, I, I never noticed it before. It's funny. Yeah. So the Mavericks are a high three-point shooting team. Not as high as the as the Splash Brothers, Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors were third in threes attempts in the regular season. Mavericks were sixth. Not fall behind. They shot about one three less per game than the Warriors. So they were right there. They're similar amount of attempts, but the way they get them is very different. The Mavericks, much to the chagrin of all of the James Harden haters, Luka Doncic lovers, because there's a lot of those, they play very similarly. The current Mavericks play very similarly to the 2016 through 2018 Rockets, and everybody hated their playing style. Now that Luka's doing it, it's like a breath of fresh air. I'll, live, I'll, let, that, I'll let that lay. But yeah, it's Luka seeing what he has whether he gets it on the wing, whether he brings it up, whether he gets it in the pinch post, the elbow area. He's seeing what he has. He's taking his time. They're the slowest team in the league, much like the Rockets used to be, where instead of breaking, they rather have their offensive phenom uh, take his time and see the best option because he usually finds a pretty good option. But yeah, that's their playing style. They take it very slow. Not always threes. They're you know top five or actually top six in the league in three-point attempts per game. But yeah, they have... Here's their other option. Luca drives. Luca throws a lob. Luca's in the post. Like they're either taking threes or they're not. It's always Luca. Spencer Dinwiddie does some. Jalen Brunson does some. But they're either going to have their penetrator find somebody at the at the wing or get all the way to the cup. There's very little in between, and that's predictable. And I think the Warriors, maybe more than any other franchise, has seen that before in the playoffs. They played the, the Rockets at their best in the playoffs and had to deal with it. So I think that's why the Warriors have a matchup advantage here, let alone a power ratings advantage, where they're not afraid of anything that the Mavericks are doing. They've seen it all before. I love what you just said. You said predictable and you said matchup advantage, and that's what ultimately I came to with this series last night. I think that this is a bad matchup for the Mavericks. And being predictable, well, last night in the first half, they were shooting like crazy, and you know, kudos to them. I mean, they were the, the buckets were going down. I was extremely happy. I had the over in that game. And it was like, just keep shooting threes, guys, and, and you know, I'll get there. And, and you guys might get there, too. You know, they, they built a big lead, but they became one-dimensional. And that's the thing about the Warriors is they want to fight fire with fire. This is not the team you want to get into a three-point shooting contest with. And I think, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to hurt Dallas. They're not going to get through this series. I don't think this series goes any more than five games. It would not surprise me if, if Golden State swept this team. I do, I do not believe this is a good matchup here for Dallas. And the fact that they just figured out how to end up getting the ball to Looney on the inside, and you had a down game from Draymond, you had a down game from Clay. If this team puts it together, they're going to be tough to beat. And let me just bring up one more quick thing before we go and jump into the Heat game tonight. Steph Curry is going to take your soul. We've seen this. And look, the Golden State's been out of it for, what, McKenzie, two years now. And you're, they're talking about, Oh, Clay's lost a step. How could he not? He had a repaired knee, a repaired Achilles. Yeah, he's lost a step, but he'll still shoot your lights out. But Steph Curry is the same player that he was a couple years ago. He's still in his prime. There is no drop-off in that guy. The only drop-off with Steph Curry is that he's probably getting five less shots because Jordan Poole's out there doing his thing. This team is going to be extremely hard to defend, and we saw it last night. I think they completely ripped the soul out of the Mavericks last night. Because if you watch the second half, there was no energy. Luca looked like he was gassed out and tired. Brunson looked aggravated, and, and Finney Smith just looked aggravated. And they were like, how the hell did this happen? 
this is that team. This is that team that we've watched. We're experiencing now. We're feeling this buzzsaw and what it feels like to have your soul ripped out of you. And Curry is the leader of that when he's out there shooting threes, picking his spot right in your face, and then dancing on top of you. It's like that has to be super disheartening. And look, I think Dallas probably goes home and, and they have a little something to build off of because of that first half. But ultimately, I think there is doubt. And this is what they do to you. This is what the Warriors do to you. They put doubt in your mind. It's so hard to overcome when you realize it and you see it and you experience it. So I think that ultimately does the Mavericks in there, McKenzie, is that mentally, I don't think that they they think they can get through this series now after what happened last night. I'm glad you brought up the halftime thing because this is something I've tracked and it's actually gotten louder and louder as the playoffs have gone on. The Mavericks are a first half team. John Hollinger said it's because he doesn't think Luka's conditioning is there. I agree. I tend to agree. Luka doesn't look like the same guy. So I dug into the numbers, and it's stark. Luka was kind of working himself back into shape in the Jazz series, so I kind of threw those games out. The numbers were kind of even. But since the start of the Sun series, Luka's been the best player maybe ever if you just looked at first halves. He's scoring 21 points per game in first halves, shooting amazingly well. In the second half, that goes down by 10 points which is still good, 10 points a half, but it's nothing like an MVP. So 21 points per game in the first half for Luka. Second half, that drops in half, less than 11 points per game. And then if you look at the team results, it's almost a mirror image where they're great in the first half. They're winning games by or halves by six points per half in the first half last nine, including this series. They were up by 14 last night. In the second half, they're losing by seven and a half points per contest in second halves, I feel like they're not there. I feel like they have uh, a gusto about them when Luca is in his element, when he has 100% in the turbo tank. And then when they when he doesn't, there's a lot of doubt that creeps in. And I think you're right. I think mentally they don't know what advantage they have and they're kind of out there floundering. So if you like the Mavericks, if you're disagreeing with everything that we're saying, if you say, hey, shot quality says they should have won a couple of these games, okay. I tend to disagree. I think the Warriors are very aware of the contested threes that they're giving up, and those are not quite as open as shot quality might account for. But if you disagree with all of that and you think the Mavericks are the play in game three, I know the sharp money's come down. That has pushed from Mavericks two to Mavericks two and a half already in game three. Mavericks also two and a half in the first half. We see that going the zig zigzag. Then play the first half because they're 13 points better the last nine games in the first half. And Luka is 11 points better in the first half. So all the numbers point in that direction. If you like the Mavs, you don't have to worry about the second half. You don't have to worry about the third quarter. Uh, By the way, I do like the Warriors in the third quarter. They're minus uh, plus a half, minus 115, bonus bet, Warriors in the third quarter. But if you like the Mavs, play them in the first half. All right, so you talked about Luka, and let me hurry up and get this done here so we can go ahead and we can jump into the Celtics and Heat game. Let me give you a pick that I like. I actually like Luka under his assists. He's gone under, I don't know how many times, McKenzie. It's been a ton, and they have him listed again at 7.5, and and it's minus 140. He's going to have to shoot more, I believe, which sounds crazy, in order for this team to go ahead and win, and I believe he's not going to look to assist the basketball here for his teammates in this particular game. One thing I noticed about Luke, and I'll make a, a, a statement about this, that dude's going to go down as one of the best players in the league that we've seen for a very long time. He's very good. And I think that you mentioned his conditioning and that that needs to get better. And I believe that there are little things that 
will make you the best player in the league, best player in the world. And I think if it, maybe it is something simple like that, McKenzie. Maybe it's just, hey, if this guy can go for full four quarters, you know, given everything he has, get a little bit stronger, you know, don't fatigue. He could be the best player in this league. And I, and I don't think that, that anybody would really argue with that. And I think we've seen that throughout these playoffs that, that he's that damn good. And it, it could be, you know, hey, you know, do that little extra that Jordan did. Do that little extra that LeBron did. And it looked like Giannis kind of hit, no you know, that next drive too. Like those guys are doing the things that they need to do to become the best player in the league. And last night in that second half, I noticed that Luka just didn't look like he did in the first half. So maybe he's got a little bit of work to do, but I'm not banging that guy for anything. He's simply amazing. I love watching him play. And last night, if you saw him hit that, you know, 40 footer from deep, seemed like that was the shot that they needed. He got it. He had no problem trolling that Warriors crowd. But uh, at the minute that happened, I mean, that was absolutely funny. I don't know if you caught that McKenzie, but I was laughing my ass off. I was like, that was the moment of the playoffs, at least for the Mavericks. Luca, John at the crowd going, ooh, he was like, he's like, shut up. I was, I was rolling. I thought it was over. I thought that was the game winner. When he's walking into half saying, you can just calm down. It's not going to get that close. It definitely was a decisive statement. That wasn't my favorite Luca play of the, of the first half, though. There was a moment they threw a box and one on him, and he dribbles into the wing where the box and one is designed for you. you they trap you, and you get rid of it, and you're not going to be the one to score. One dribble hesitates. Looks like he's going to pick it up and fire it across. The whole Warriors five, you see pause all at the same time. And in that second, he pushes the ball forward, ends up with a two-handed dunk. It looked like they weren't guarding him, even though they had literally set up their entire defense to have anybody else score. He's just a brilliant mind. In that moment, saw the opportunity, a little hesitation, and took advantage. He's probably odds-on favorite to be the best player in the world in three or four years. I think he has all the tools to get there. You know, Mackenzie, I'm thinking that he's going to be extremely tough for me not to bet as the MVP next year. I get it, and B didn't get it this year, but I believe you and I had talked about this, is that there's a lot of bodies in Philly. Is Jokic going to get it for a third year in a row? It seemed like there was a lot of controversy and a lot of things going on with that. Uh, obviously, we don't see LeBron getting it. But John Morant, I, I just don't think he can get there like Luka can. And Giannis for another year. Uh, I, I think Milwaukee might might fade a little bit next year. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to sit there and say that Giannis doesn't have a chance. But you know, if you give me you know plus three fifty, you know four to one somewhere in that area, believe it or not, with Luca, I would strongly consider taking him. You know, as MVP next year, especially if he goes through and and, and we're talking about his conditioning. If he takes that extra step, I don't know if anybody beats him in the MVP conversation next year. So you know, early best bet. You know, is that something that we might want to consider? Maybe give out McKenzie. Yeah, and it's not gonna. I think we're gonna get a little better. So this year, Luca opened up as the favorite at six to one, and I don't think this year was the year. It was a first year coach, but next year, this is, reminds me a lot of the LeBron run to the finals in two thousand seven, where he wasn't in the MVP conversation before he took that moribund franchise to the finals and lost in four to the Spurs. Afterwards, he was the clear favorite, and then he ended up winning. I think four out of the next six. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Luke, Luke is probably going to pop up at 6-1, to one, and I think that's a decent wager. So to recap my best bet, I like the Warriors in the third quarter. We've been talking about the matchup advantage. Despite the zigzag theory, the market, a lot of money coming on the Mavericks, I think psychologically the Warriors are not going to let up off the gas. Talking about teams that this reminds me of, this matchup reminds me a lot of the last time the Warriors were in the conference finals, the 2019 against the Blazers, where... 
Game one was a blowout. Game two was super close. The whole expectation was that, all right, this is a series. We're going to Portland now. Not so much. The Warriors ended up closing that out in four. I don't think that this team in the conference final is going to let their foot off the gas. If anything, I think the lights might be a little bright for this Mavericks team that's already exceeded expectations. That said, the first half is clearly the best time to invest in the the Mavericks. They're already two and a half point favorites in the first half. So I think the Warriors might be down a few points. They're the better team. I can get them at plus a half in the third quarter. That's my best bet for that game. That's my prop bet. Warriors plus a half. It's minus 115 right now on FanDuel in the third quarter. All right. Well, I'm going to go down. I'm going to stick with Luca as we were talking about. I'm going to go ahead and play his assists under seven and a half. Most of the sites here at like plus 110, plus 105 I see right now on DraftKings. So uh, that'll wrap up that game. Good stuff there, McKenzie. Fun breakdown. Let's go ahead and let's jump into tonight's game because this is one everybody really wants to talk about. Uh, we got the Celtics and we have the Heat. Uh, currently right now, the Celtics minus six and a half. And we have a total of 208 and a half. Not necessarily sure what you think about this one there, McKenzie, but Boston, they went and they took care of business. And I think Al Horford and I think Marcus Smart played a big, big key factor into game two. I'm not sure what you think of this one, but those two guys back on the floor, they made Boston look like a championship type of team. Miami looked very pedestrian. They looked sloppy. They looked out of shape. They just looked like they had their hearts ripped out of them. Boston did everything they needed to do to go in there in Miami and go ahead and take care of them. Now they're coming back home. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere tonight in Boston. Not sure what you think about this game. As I mentioned, Boston minus six and a half tonight. What are you thinking? There could be like a senior thesis or a doctorate written just on the line so far in this series. It's been fascinating where how much are the third and fourth best players on a championship quality team worth? I don't know. Maybe more than you thought. Maybe two and a half points even. How much does it does it hurt a team to come off a of game seven and play a team that has three extra days of rest? Well, the market said significantly because they were two, two and a half point favorites before the Heat were, before the Horford news, before the Smart news. A lot of places were at Pickham in game two uh, with the same teams as, that we thought were going to be there. We thought Smart and Horford were going to be there. It was a two and a half point difference because, hey, now the teams are even when it comes to rest. I tend to think that game one was really kind of thrown away by the Celtics. No, they didn't want Horford to miss. That was, I mean, he was at shoot around. But as soon as that happened, as soon as that dropped, and they they knew that a couple of their staff members had, you know, COVID issues and that this was a possibility. Then they'd look at Marcus Smart and they said, hey, you know, you're probably good to play. You're probably 90% on a foot, but we're on short rest. We don't have Horford. Why don't we just sit you smart? And, you know, we still have two of the three best players, arguably, probably, in the series in Brown and Tatum. Let's just roll the ball out and see how we do. And, hey, they were up 11 in the first half. They were up eight at halftime. I think they, the whole reason that they were down by 25 is because, hey, they didn't really put in all the, all the ammunition that they, did, that they needed for game one to win that. So they ended up losing by 25 just in the third quarter of game one, losing that game by nine. But then as soon as they got all their guys back, as soon as Tatum, as soon as their starting five was all in line, they win. They win wire to wire almost. I know they had a first quarter deficit, but if you're looking at the two games side by side, seven out of the eight quarters, the Celtics either tied or blew or blew the heat out one by 10 plus. And in one quarter, they lost by 25. I like the Celtics in the series. I think they've just proven to be the far better team. 
Since January 1st, they have a plus six and a half net rating advantage over the Heat. I know they're technically the second seed because they lost two more games in the regular season. Doesn't really speak to me. Doesn't really say that much to me. You look at the competition so far in the playoffs, the Celtics have gone up against probably the two of the top four teams in the East and the Nets and the Bucks. The Heat, I don't think, have gone up against anybody in the top five. You know, the Sixers were struggling against the Raptors. The Heat, I mean, the Hawks barely made the playoffs. And those are the numbers that we're looking at when it comes to the Heat playoffs numbers. I think this is just an unfair fight. And I think game one was completely explicable why the Celtics underperformed. But I don't expect the Heat to have that kind of performance. I don't think the Celtics lose another game in this in this series. That surprised me that you don't think that they can. Oh, they can. They definitely can. The Heat uh, are a great coach team. They have a top 10 player in the league. Jimmy Butler had one of the games of the decade in games one from an efficiency and a defensive perspective. That said, I just think the Celtics aren't going to, the Celtics are battle tested at this point. They know, I mean, they've lost two coin flip games to the Bucks and had to go on the road to resurrect their season. I don't think they let their foot off the gas. And I think they're just, a, you know, four points better at this point, especially when it, Lowry, I don't think plays. And if he plays, he's been pretty bad the last month. I think the Heat are just, uh, they're a good story, but I don't think they talent-wise can compete. Maybe they'll take another game, but I don't think it goes much farther than that. What's up with, like, Bam Adebayo? I, I gave him out as a pick the other day. I thought his points would go over, and I'm, like, sitting there watching. I'm like, is this dude even on the floor? And then Dwayne Dedman comes in, and it was like, he looks like he's out playing him. So I don't know if there's something that Boston's doing. Maybe he's just worn out or tired, but he's become – next to nothing as you were talking about like are your third and fourth players going to move the line like this guy looks like he's not moving anything like he's he's just out there like a, like he's just in the way boy I'll tell you I was disappointed because I expected him to come back and have a at least I expected him to come back in this series and be able to do a little bit more because he wasn't really effective in the last series either so there's got to be something there and it has to be bogging down Miami you know as a whole yeah you're talking about Matching up big twos. Okay, Jason Tatum, 28 a game. Excellent. Jimmy Butler, 29 a game. has been excellent in the playoffs. Jalen Brown, over 20 a game, shooting decently, hitting threes. Then you come to Bam Adebayo. He's supposed to be the you know fourth guy on the graphic on the right side next underneath Jimmy Butler. He's not that guy. He's scoring eight points a game, six and a half rebounds per game. And it's not like he's been playing a few minutes. It's not like there's an injury that we know about. He's just not been that guy. And watching it, it just looks like the Celtics defense has been ready. And they got torched by this team, by Bam Adebayo specifically, the last time they matched up in the conference final. So I don't know if there's like a grudge there, if they're putting extra time into, into scheming against him. But they've completely taken him out of this, uh, of this series. And the Celtics, by the way, do that to a lot of teams. They were by far the number one defense in the league. Really, anybody but point guards... They were top five and stopping you from scoring. And the Heat don't have a point guard that can take advantage of the, the Celtics' heavy switching system. Yeah, it's good that you brought that up because it takes me back to, you know, Durant and, you know, what Boston did against him. It was like, well, we're going to take an element, regardless if it's your best player or not. Like, they're going to take an element out of your game. And we kind of saw that with KD, arguably best player in the world, took him right out of that series, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And it seems like they're doing that here with Bam. And if Bam can't do anything, then it seems like Miami is losing their they're losing their identity of who they are. And that's what I saw in the last game. They were out there playing sloppy. They had no grit. They had no fight. 
They were all over the place on defense. And give credit to Boston. They were moving the ball exceptionally well to the point that it was like one pass here, one pass there. Yeah, they had 26 assists. But, you know, if you can give like an assist assist, they had a lot of those in that game because they were moving the ball so effectively to where they were getting guys that were wide open. And Miami, for as good as a defense as they are, they looked absolutely lost. And it was like they just completely lost their identity. Now, I think that they come back tonight, McKenzie, with a much better effort. There's no way that Spolster is going to let them go out there and play sloppy, let them go out there and not have that fight, you know, that, that Miami Heat tenacity that they generally have. And th- th- I think they have to get Bam involved. Like, you have to figure out, you know, what you're going to do because you can't go in there and try to, you know, do things on the fly. You have to have a game plan, I think, against this Boston team, and you have to stick to it, and you have to become – you know, efficient and, and, and effective on top of it. So I think Miami comes in here with a with a different demeanor tonight, and I think it's we're going into a fight tonight, and I think that that's the kind of attitude that they take. And the market tends to agree with you. I'm seeing sixes pop up in a lot of different books, so there's money coming back in on the heat after an adjustment uh, in favor of the Celtics. And you, you talk about game plan, and I think you're right. I think this is the game to make it a series. If you're the heat, you have to show up and – and you have to, uh, you know, put the fear of God in the Celtics. And I think you got to do something different. And that leads me into my best bet. I like Jimmy Butler under 26 and a half points. And here's why. After game two, they got shellacked, lost by 25. People were like, oh, the Celtics hit 50% of their threes. They're not going to do that again. They could have missed eight threes in a row that they made, and they still would have won. So I don't want to necessarily hear that. They got shellacked. They know they have to do something different. It wasn't just shooting variants. So Jimmy Butler, after game two, he says, I need to pass more. I think I have to do a better job of getting everybody involved if I'm being brutally honest. Butler's in game two had three assists. That was his lowest in his last five games. Okay, so that means if there is a 50-50 scenario where he's not sure if he wants to take the shot or pass, he's already communicated, yes, to the media, to the public, but also to his teammates that, hey, we have to do this differently. We have to do this together. I'm going to need more than eight points out of you, Bam, if we're going to compete in this series against the Celtics, who run eight deep, eight guys that can shoot and put it on the ground. So if you look at Jimmy Butler's numbers, okay, he's shooting 30, he's scoring 35 a game. All the public is going to be on the over. How is this only 26 and a half? Well, I'm telling you, it couldn't be any higher because 26 and a half is a point higher than it's been at any point this season. I mean, think about it. He was only scoring 21 in the regular season. I know he's been hot in the playoffs, but they literally set this as high as they have in any point this season, despite the fact that the Heat are supposed to score fewer points than they have at any point in the playoffs. They're over under the Heat's team total is only 100 points, yet they set this as high as Butler has been, higher than Butler has been at any point in this season. I think there's no way he can shoot 60% for the whole series, which he's been doing. He's only shooting 19 shots a game. So even if he shoots... The same, I think he's going to shoot less, but even if he shoots the same amount of shots he has so far this series and he doesn't shoot 60%, then our under is looking good at that point. So I think the Heat don't play the way they've been, where they've been over-reliantly on Butler. I think they score less because they're expected to score less, and I think Butler gets a smaller percentage of that pie. So all that leads me to saying Jimmy Butler, this is a big bet for me, under 26.5 points. All right, so there's McKenzie's best bet. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a best bet, too. Uh, before I do that, we had some breaking news here, McKenzie. As you mentioned, the line was starting to tick down there. 
Uh, currently right now, at least according to uh, ESPN right now, Eric Spolster has said that Tucker and Lowry will warm up with the intention to play. So I believe that might have something to do with that line move there, McKenzie. Let me go ahead and give you my best bet. I'm going to go down. I'm going to play Tyler Hero over 13 and a half points. Here's why. One, Bam Adebayo hasn't been seen. Uh, somebody has to put a missing report out for Bam. Don't know where he's at. Don't know what he's doing. And if that guy's not going to be a big part of this offense, then somebody else has to. And I don't believe it's Gabe Vincent on the road. I don't believe it's Max Struess on the road or a P.J. Tucker who could be Gimpy or Kyle Lowry who could be Gimpy. If you were thinking that that Butler is going under his points, somebody has to go out there and score. And I don't believe it's probably going to be Olin Depot. He didn't have the greatest game last game. Yeah, he got to the free throw line, but he did have some costly turnovers in that you know second quarter debacle there for the Heat. I believe it's Tyler Hero. It's the sixth man of the year. He's gone over this number plenty of times in the playoffs, but he's had some goose eggs in the playoffs as well. But I believe they're going to look to their shooters in this one, their scorers, because in order to keep up with Boston on the road, you have to have guys that can put the ball in the bucket. And Hero is a guy, I believe, that can do that. I think 13.5 McKenzie is a little bit low. I would expect this maybe to be a little bit higher. So I'm going to go ahead I'm going to give that out. I think the Hero becomes a big factor in this game tonight, and they look to him to go ahead and at least just try to keep pace you know, with this Boston team there at home. So I'm going to go ahead and give that out. As my best bet, Tyler Hero over 13 and a half points. Not sure if you like that one, McKenzie, or what you think, but boy, it seems like the Heat are going to be searching for some offense, and they, they, I, I think Hero might be that guy. Agreed. I mean, they said as much after the game. They can't have Butler do everything, and I'm surprised to see this number. Why did they drop it from game two so much? So game one is 14 and a half over under Tyler Hero points. He scores 18. They win. All right. Game two, they bump it up to 15 and a half. He has a bad game. They score 11. They lose. Now it's 13 and a half. Now it's somehow not only lower than it was in game two, it's lower than it was in game one, despite the fact they said after the game they need to go to more options, such as Tyler Hero. So I think it's just an overreaction to, one, a low total, two, a bad game from Tyler Hero. But I don't think he, ha- I don't think he has a short memory. I think he just is the same guy, home, road. He's going to put his shots up. So 13 and a half seems low to me. I agree. You know, one of the reasons, McKenzie, why I think this line probably came down is the fact that they're looking at, at Lowry. His point total right now was at nine and a half. So maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah. And it's surprising because Tyler Hero's actually scored more per game alongside Kyle Lowry. A lot of times these snap reactions by the market, like, okay, guys back. That means less shots for everybody else. Not really. Kyle Lowry scoring six points per game in the games he's played in these playoffs. And again, Tyler Hero scored more with Kyle Lowry than without him. So that move doesn't make sense to me. That move is just irrational to me. All right. Well, it could be an interesting dynamics. That'll be my best bet. Tyler here over 13 and a half points. You guys got all our stuff for this one. Good stuff there, McKenzie. It was a nice Saturday breakdown uh, for the two games that we have coming up over the next two days. Uh, with that said, you guys know where to find us on Twitter, sleepyj underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers. You guys could always get us at pregame.com. Make sure you guys like, subscribe to the podcast. And Mackenzie and I will talk to you guys later on this week. Enjoy the game.